the Christmas season, we were looking at the Gospel of Luke. We continue to look at the Gospel of Luke. We move forward just a little bit into the heart of Jesus' ministry. Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him elders of the Jews asking him to come and to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but I say the word, but just say the word. And let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. I say go and he goes and another come and he comes. And to this servant do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at them. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterward, he went into a town called Nain and his disciples, and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, and the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd came from the town, was with her. And when Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and he touched the buyer. And the bearer stood still and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all of the surrounding country. All right, we had our one week of winter. Did you enjoy it? It was uh, pretty clear, came out of nowhere. Uh, we're going to have our three days of spring coming up uh, before you know it, and the rest of the time will be... Uh, uh, summer and hurricane season. Those are our big uh, seasons. But if you think about spring, one of the things that you may need to do is that you need to go and check all of your equipment in the yard. And one of the pieces of equipment that you want to check in your yard is, is a water hose. Uh, you can't really do a whole lot in spring without a water hose. And so maybe you go and check your water hose and boy, your water hose needs to be replaced. And so you head off uh, to Lowe's and, and you go and look for things. You know how many hoses they have at, at, at Lowe's? They, they got a bunch of hoses at Lowe's. And so there's a lot of questions that you've got to ask as you uh, take a look at this. Uh, the, the first thing that, that you've got to look at is you got to say, okay, what kind of quality is this? Am I going to be replacing this every single spring because it breaks down and it kind of crumbles and, and all of that kind of thing? Uh, the next question you got to take a look at is, do you really believe that this is one of the hoses that isn't going to kink up every time you try to roll it up? They all tell you it's not going to kink, and yet every hose uh, kinks.
ramps up in some degree. You've got to take a look at that hose and you've got to decide if it's going to provide the kind of water pressure that you're going to need for the jobs that you're going to have. But the trickiest question of all the water hose questions that you're going to have to ask is, do I need 25 feet? Do I need 50 feet? Do I need 100 feet? Do I need 150 feet? I have no idea how long my yard is. If I got the hose over here and the spigots over here, how far do I need to know? Because the number one question that we have to ask when you buy a hose is, will it reach? I will tell you that my yard in Panama City got to the place of being golf course quality. I mean, I had that yard to absolute perfection. I would wave strangers down as they drove by and say, did you see my yard? Did you see how great my yard was? My yard was looking fantastic. Except in the corners. Because my hose didn't reach. I, I couldn't get my, my herbicide out to those places. I, I couldn't get the watering out to those places. So right there, the main part, the, the main section looked absolutely fantastic. But there were sections of the yard that unless the wind was blowing in the right direction, there were sections of the yard that the hose would not reach. you got to know, is it going to reach? The reason why I ask and think about that this morning is that these stories of Jesus that we're going to spend the next several months on are just absolutely fantastic. They are absolutely amazing. You're going to see Jesus' compassion. You're going to see Jesus' power. You're, you're going to see Jesus' love. You're going to see Jesus' teaching. You're going to see all the things that Jesus does. And we're going to step into the text, and we're going to stand next to the people who are seeing all of this firsthand. But, you know, I believe that there were people that stood there in the crowd with Jesus, amazed at the things that Jesus could do, amazed at his miracles, amazed at his love, amazed at his power, amazed at his engagement. And there was one question that came to mind. Does it reach all the way to me? Jesus is amazing. But does that apply to my life? Jesus is powerful. But does it reach all the way to me. Jesus is full of love. Jesus is full of compassion. Jesus is full of grace. But does it reach all the way to me? In fact, as we take a look at these two stories today, I think this really captures and sums up this question of does it reach to me? And the reason why these questions matter so much is because I don't believe that the biblical people are the last people to look at Jesus and wonder does he reach all the way to me? In fact, let's take a look at the passages together and let's think about this together. The first question is really, really super basic and that is, can Jesus reach me? Can Jesus reach me? I'm fascinated by the opening of Luke chapter 7. I'm fascinated by the presence of the center person in this miracle story is the centurion. Boy, I didn't see that coming. I did not expect that we would find here in the middle of this passage that this centurion would be present in the text. Most of the times when we read and most of the times when we study and we examine, we, we 
are fully expecting the centurion to be the enemy, the outsider, the opposition, the enemy which was Roman force, Roman intimidation, Roman taxation, Roman enforcement. And the people of Israel hated and bridled under that kind of thing. And yet here he is in the middle of this story, the centurion. And not only is the centurion present, but nobody calls him a name. His name is not that bleeping, stinking, rotten, miserable centurion. It just says centurion. And then as it tells us more about the centurion, it starts to say nice things about him. He, he cares deeply about his servant. He has a meaningful, open relationship with the Jewish elders of that town. In fact, in some way or the other, he is responsible for the building of their place of worship. How is it that the centurion gets in the middle of the story? I think I wonder about that. But I think the centurion wondered about that as well. You see, he had heard about Jesus. He had been hearing these stories. Capernaum was a place that Jesus had, had been working for some time. He had heard the stories of, of miracles and of healings. And when he had this one that he cared about, this person that he cared deeply about, he said, I wonder. I wonder whether Jesus could solve this. I wonder whether Jesus could reach all the way here. But he wasn't sure. And so he sends some of his Jewish friends as a go-between because he's not even sure that he can speak directly to Jesus because he's not sure that Jesus reaches all the way to him. And then even as Jesus comes to his house, he says, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't, don't, don't come to my house. I'm not worthy for you to come. I don't think that you reach all the way to me. The centurion in the middle of the story, nice things said about him. In fact, Jesus says that he marvels at his faith. The opposite of what Colby talked to us about last week where Jesus marveled at their unbelief. Here Jesus marvels at their belief and says, in all of Israel I haven't seen anybody who believed like this. How does the centurion get into the middle of the story? And then I remember we're reading Luke's gospel. And Luke writes for the purpose of speaking to the entire world. And as Luke tells his stories, particularly to the Gentiles, to the outsiders, what is the number one question that outsiders, the Gentiles, are going to have about a Jewish Savior? Does Jesus reach to me? I don't have the bloodlines. I don't know the Old Testament. I'm not part of that worshiping community. I'm an outsider. Those people don't even speak to me. Does Jesus reach all the way to me? And Luke puts the story right here in the heart of the gospel because the answer is Jesus reaches all the way to everyone. And it's the same message that we try to communicate here in this church 
week in and week out that you are loved by God. And you are called to be a saint. And you are welcome right here in this place. And so the question is, does Jesus reach to me? If you will believe in humility, as the centurion did, Jesus reaches to you. Regardless of your bloodline, regardless of who you know, regardless of your popularity, regardless of your past, Jesus reaches to you. Man, that's a good word. The second question is, does Jesus reach to now? Does Jesus reach to now? Well, what we're seeing here is that there's this enthusiasm. There are crowds. Jesus has spent time teaching. Jesus has spent time healing. And so now, as we move into the next section, Jesus' entourage moves from Capernaum into Nain, and it tells us that his disciples and the crowd was traveling with him. I want you to know that I believe that that was a pretty cool group of people to hang out with. I mean, they were seeing Jesus move and teach and do and miracle all the time. So you got the crowds, you got the disciples. I think you got some spiritual tourists with phones around, with, with cameras around their necks trying to catch the next picture of the next miracle. It is fantastic. Their parents never saw anything like this. Their grandparents never saw anything like this. This is an amazing thing. And I think that there is a spirit. It's almost a party of seeing the things that Jesus does. And so here comes this crowd of festiveness as they come into Nain. And then suddenly it gets awkward because as they enter into the gate of this little town of Nain, and they're party and they're high five, and isn't this fantastic? Did you see this? Did you see this? Oh man, this is so great. And come in the other direction is a funeral. Well, that puts a damper on things, doesn't it? Imagine, if you will, SLU wins a national championship. I'm thinking football. Maybe it's basketball. The division's not quite as clear. It's a national championship. And because it's a national championship, we're having a parade. And so we're having a parade, and the national championship parade leaves the campus, and it's coming down university. And Rumi's out front there waving to everybody. Uh, Sam Capel is driving one of, the, one of the floats. Mackie's directing traffic. I mean, it's a great thing. It is a celebration. And just as they get close to Morrison, some Harry McNeely's comes out of funeral procession. Kind of puts a damper on it, doesn't it? All the celebration all of a sudden gets real and it gets a little bit more awkward. And I think some of the people, some of the spiritual tourists that were with Jesus were like, oh, man. If only Jesus could have done something about this. If only Jesus had been here earlier. If only we hadn't arrived too late. Because, man, this is, this is out of reach. He, he can heal the centurion servant. This poor kid is dead. 
And the weight of this moment is so heavy because there's immediately a backstory that says this is the woman's only son and she is a widow. In other words, she has lost everything that she has relationally. And because she's lost all of those people relationally, she has lost everything that she has financially. The entire town walks with her because that's all that they can do. Man, if only Jesus could have reached to this. If only Jesus could have reached to this kind of moment. It's all fantastic till you hit the funeral. But it tells us that Jesus is moved with compassion. And he steps up and he touches the casket. And he looks at the widow and says, do not weep. And then he says to the dead man, Arise. And the dead man arises. You see, everyone there in that spot thought that this moment, this crisis, this situation was outside of the reach of Jesus. It is too late. It is too far gone. Jesus can't do anything about this. But I want you to know that wherever you've drawn the circle to where you think Jesus can reach, Wherever you think the limits of that circle of Jesus can come this far, I want you to know that he says to the dead man, arise, and the dead man gets up. What's the dead man in your life? What's the part of your life that you have said, I believe, I've seen Jesus do, I love the fact that Jesus can, but this is outside of the circle. I want you to know that there is nothing outside of the circle. You hear me? There's nothing. There's no part of your life that is outside of the circle that Jesus can't reach straight to. The third question is, can Jesus reach this? Now, this is the the most easily overlooked of all the questions but it's the most important of all of the questions you see Jesus walks up to that casket and he puts his hand on it now I don't know what your comfort level at a funeral is some folks are very very comfortable in those places other people don't even want to walk into the building But Jesus walks up, and he he touches the stretcher that this body is on. That's a degree of intimacy, particularly for a stranger. But I think that most of us overlook the fact that everybody in that place would have gasped when Jesus reached up and touched it. You see, there was this theology of contamination There was a theology that said broken things, if you touch broken things, you become broken. Well, this casket, this this buyer, it's, it's broken. And if you touch this, you become unclean. The brokenness of this situation begins to pass from it 
to you and you become unbroken. And so you cannot touch the broken things. It's the reason why the centurion didn't want Jesus to come to his house. He was a Gentile. He was on that list of broken, contaminated things and says, Jesus, it's going to be so much trouble for you if you come into my house and all of the brokenness, the brokenness is contagious. Don't come into my house. Don't touch this thing because the brokenness will rub off on you. You remember all the, you remember all the, you remember all the Chuck Norris jokes? He doesn't do push-ups. He pushes the world away. You remember those? That's Jesus in real life. The worry is that the contamination is going to flow from Jesus. The brokenness of this is going to flow from that brokenness to Jesus, and Jesus will be broken. He will be contaminated. not what happens you see Jesus takes his wholeness and he reverses that flow of contamination and contagion and his wholeness makes the brokenness whole again what is spiritually broken is healed when he touches it what is spiritually contaminated what is spiritually out of order, what is sin, does not contaminate him, but he heals, conquers, and defeats the sin. Complete reversal of that flow. Jesus reaches all the way to the broken pieces of my life. Historically, we, we've come to several different recognitions. One, we, we recognize that there was a, a science to our bodies. Around the 1600s, we, we, we began to realize, wait, there's blood that flows inside of us, and, and then the heart circulates that, and we began to understand some microscopic things, and we began to understand there's actually science on how we can make the body better. And so if your body breaks, you need a doctor. We also came to a realization a little bit later is that sometimes our emotions break, our spirit breaks, and we need a counselor. Sometimes that counselor is a friend, sometimes it's a, a trusted family member, sometimes it is a professional counselor. But sometimes we discover that our spirit, our, our emotions are broken, and we need a counselor. What we are forgetting sometimes is that our soul is broken. And we need a Savior. We need a Savior. And Jesus says, I will walk in and I will reverse the course of that brokenness. I will heal and I will forgive and I will restore your soul. And I will reach all the way there. The strange thing is that we have become hyper aware of medical. We have become overdue to understand the emotional. But sometimes we overlook the fact that you don't just need a doctor and a counselor. 
but you need a savior. And Jesus touches the broken pieces of our lives. The sinful pieces, the rebellious pieces, the pieces that have set us apart from God. He is willing to reach in and restore and heal and save those parts of life. So what does this mean to us this morning? I think it comes back to one of the phrases earlier in the passage where it says that the group that went from Capernaum to Nain included his disciples and the crowd. There were two different groups of people. They didn't wear name tags. They didn't dress different. By looking at them, if they were to have paraded in front of us today, we wouldn't be able to tell the difference between the disciples and the crowd. So why does the text tell us disciples and crowd? Because some of the people there were just curious, and some of them were committed. Some of them were just there to see what happens. But others had given their life to Jesus and said, I don't know where this finishes, I don't know where this goes, but I know that you're the answer. And I'm with you. In fact, what I love is that the whole story is that people move from the crowd to become disciples. So this morning, I just wonder if the story will be told about the people who are in church this morning. There are the disciples and the crowd gathered at Woodland Park Baptist Church. Again, we don't wear name tags. An outsider couldn't look and pick out the difference between the groups. It's not on what we wear. It's on whether we have committed our lives to Jesus and said, I don't know where this ends, but I'm with him no matter what. People move from the crowd to disciples. That's the story.